0: What's happening guys? Happy Friday. And thank you for joining another special episode of your welcome. We are officially one day away from a massive fight, the main event between Islam and Bobby Green, and coming up on today's show. I'm gonna give you my official prediction and I'm also gonna tell you what the lightweight title picture might look like after this fight. Plus, George Mosvidal recently said something that didn't sit so well with me. All of that later in the show, but I want to start with this. Darren Till. I've been following Darren Till closer than I've ever followed Darren Till because he's in Sweden training and Chemayev has got some kind of a gimmick where he's putting shows together each day, and frankly, he's doing awesome. I'm I'm in the YouTube business. I'm in the podcast business. I'm very impressed with what he's doing because the best stories come from the practice room. If I have any regret throughout my career, I started my career prior to the addition of the iPhone. Where now we all have a camera, you just have to go buy it, and you put a cassette in it, and you had to hold it on your shoulder, and somebody, you couldn't just prop it up. It's a whole thing, but I saw things dating back to the mid-90s in the practice room. I mean, the first time I saw MMA in a practice room was the Olympic champion Mark Schultz taking on Tank Abbott. I mean, just to share with you. As Tank was preparing for the ultimate, ultimate, knew he was going to draw to Dan Severn. I I saw such great stuff. And I could keep telling you stories. I could tell you what happened between Evan Tanner and Dan Henderson. Dan Henderson and Matt Lindland. Randy Couture and Don Fry. Like, there was stuff that I saw in the practice room. We don't have any video of it. And I've always thought somebody should go in the practice room. And Chemayev is the first to do it. Where he comes in daily, his editor makes it look like a story. He does a beautiful piece. But Darren Till is part of that. He's left England, he's, left his fa- he's got family in Brazil, he's in Sweden, he's sacrificing everything, he's looking to get better. So I've never been more inundated on Darren Till, that's my only point. Till said something very interesting yesterday. So when he comes back, he doesn't want the pressure of a main event. So I want to ease my way back into it, I don't want the pressure of a main event. Now, Darren Till is a very big fan base. And I have a feeling you guys are drawn to Till for the same reason I'm drawn to Till, which if you want an answer to something that's truthful, ask him. Till doesn't play these games. Till's a badass. He doesn't need to... He just doesn't do that. He's self-deprecated at times. He'll make his jokes at times. He'll talk about his sore at times. He'll talk about what a monster this guy... He's very honest. This was an honest statement. Many people feel that same way. Some guys only want main events. If you're dealing with a Diaz boy, the more pressure and the longer the fight, their confidence goes up. And a lot of other guys just don't want all the pressure. They don't want all the eyeballs on them. And that's what Till was speaking to. He said, I don't want the pressure of a main event. When you're the marquee name and what he's talking about with pressure, you're going to have all the eyes on you. Your opponent is going to be a guaranteed contender as well. But your media goes up because the marketing is now on your shoulders as the marquee name. I don't know what of that combination Till specifically was speaking to. I'm just sharing with you that is the ingredients to a main event. So he's talking about one, two, or all three of those things. Now, you of course have the duration that changes. 25 minutes, you have to be very different with your energy. I do not believe that Derek Till has a deficit. I do not believe he has a deficit with his ability to stop takedowns, and I do not believe that he has a deficit once he's on his back of protecting himself and getting up. There's also a... It looks like he does. It physically looks... I don't think it is. I think it's mental. I think there's a part of him that checks out. It's called taking inventory. If you were dealing with a sports psychologist, it's called taking... Okay, I'm in the second round. I'm already breathing hard. I'm now in a worse position as I used to be in, and there's 15 minutes left and your mind starts to play tricks. It just does. Your mind will do the math. of I'm in a bad spot, I better get my ass up. There's 40 seconds left in this round and if I want to win it, I got to go now. That's one trick. That's the one that you hope your mind will go to. But your mind will go to another one as well. Which is, if I stay here just a little longer, the tag team partner known as the referee is going to step in and I'm going to get out of the position the same way. That's the one you try to resist. That's the battle. When you hear fighters say, it's not me against the opponent, it's me against myself, that's what they're talking about. You will have a voice in your head telling you how to get out of the position. It's going to mean defeat. It's going to mean all the hard work and all the sacrifice and trying to move your trajectory forward is going to come to a stop. But it's fight or flight, you're in a jam, and there is another way out of this. It's not just to get an underhook, scramble my hips, get my head up and pop to my feet. There's another way out of it. Which is do less as opposed to more and wait for the referee to step in. It's a very real thing. And when Darren Till, and that's what I think Till's dealing with. I really do. I don't think he has a deficit. I've seen Till on his back. He's a crafty son of a bitch. He really is. I've seen Till with his hips on his feet. Nobody takes him down in the open because they can't control his hips. He's one of these real limber guys. You have to push Darren Till into the fence so that you can at least know where his hips are. Right. I mean, he's hard to take down. He really is. But if you go watch a few, a few of Till fights, and especially if you were to isolate his losses, you're going to come to the conclusion that he has a deficit, would take down defense, and his ability to get up. I don't think it's true. I think in those fights that Till had, even the fights he got mauled in, I think if they were 15-minute fights, your effort is going to be different. And when your effort is different, the physical side of it, I think that I would win you over, is not a deficit. The mental side of it of, yeah, I can do it once, can I do it three times, because it's it's probably going to have to do it another four, I might as well just stop. Now, that's real. Whether that ended up being true or not, you don't get to know. Your mind leaves the fight for three seconds, that fight is going to be over. I'm being a lot more wordy than Till was, but I think I'm right. I don't think Till's got a deficit, I really don't. I don't know that Till needed to train camps or work any harder. Till's a damn good fighter. He has positions where his mind plays tricks on him. Till never gets in trouble on his feet, but Till doesn't know how. A lot of fighters know how to get out of a fight when they're on the ground. Not very many fighters know how to get out of a fight when they're on their feet. We've seen it. We see through that one real easy. We know when a guy pretends to be knocked out as he's he's reaching and bracing for the fight. It's a real thing. But some fighters don't know how to do it on their feet. I think that that's Till. Till needs to be on his feet because he doesn't know how to quit. He's never learned how to pretend that he's knocked out. I hope he gets his way. I think when a guy's very honest and a guy is, is willing to make the sacrifices that Darren is, he's left his whole family, he's in a country where he only knew one guy, he's working his ass off twice a day, every day, with no excuses, shows us he wants this. It shows us he has drive. And I I will also suppose for you, Till does not care who the opponent is. Just because you come down the card, what appears, perception is it's an easier fight. It's not an easier fight. I think Till will still take on anybody. He's just now asking, can I do it for 15 minutes as opposed to 25? I'm working on a few things. I think my next step in my progression is this. Let me exhale just a little bit. Let me go into a more normal time frame and see what happens. That's his request, guys. Whether you give it to him or not, you guys like Darren Till. You're the ones that shoved his apps up to main event in the first place. But there was a big message in that response to Till. I just broke it down for you. That's what it was. So if you want to do your part, or if you appreciate when somebody is open and comes and talks directly to you, which is what Darren did. That was private how he was feeling. So he brought it to you. You can help. Definitely. You can find him an opponent. You can put him in a co-main spot. It's all that he's asking. So I just had to start the show with Till and Chemiah, but now I want to shift to tomorrow's main event between Makhlchev and Green and some lessons that other fighters can take away from what's transpired here in the past few weeks. All right, guys, I was talking to you yesterday. And I asked a very simple question. I had listened to Bobby Green on Errol Hawani's show. Bobby Green said I wasn't the first guy that was called. I don't know who else was called, but they're all—and he called him the P-word. And that got me thinking, yeah, you're right, they didn't call Bobby first. They didn't didn't just call one guy and change it five pounds, fly him in from vacation. Obviously, they were running out of options when they finally got to Bobby. That's very obvious, and I thought of it as soon as Bobby got done saying it. But then I wanted to know, who are these names? Because I don't want a mistake of coming down here and shining these guys up. I don't want to package a guy who was offered an opportunity and turns out he's not ready. Those aren't my kind of guys. I don't want somebody that's scared to take on anybody, even if his name's Islam Wachalchuk. I don't want to be behind those guys. So I would like to know, who is that? Well, Bobby hasn't answered the question yet, and I suspect that Bobby wouldn't know the answer to it, but Islam did. Islam said when he got the call, hey, Darush is hurt, that Islam said, just get me somebody. Get me Gillespie. Get me RDA. Get me Fitsai. Get, just went through the list. And Islam said, Bobby's getting the fight because Bobby's the only one that got back to me. Now, I realize there's a language barrier there. I realize the way it is that he's the one that got back to me. I realize that makes it sound like Islam was out finding opponents. But for all I know, he was. It could have been Ali for all I know. Ali could, might have been going to these guys, hey, you want to fight Islam? You want, I, I don't know what happened. But I do accept that and I do appreciate that. Because some guys are going to do their talking by competing, some guys are going to do their talking on the microphone, the greats are going to have a combination of both. But if you do want to look at the way Islam's going, which is very light on talk, very high on performance, that's the same that his mentor Khabib did. Khabib didn't come out of his shell and even fully grasp the language. I mean, there was a time Khabib was fighting, he had to have an interpreter. Khabib took that serious. He wanted to communicate. He learned English. He started doing press conferences alone, back and forth with the audience. But I'm just sharing with you, that was a work in progress. And guys like Khabib and guys like Islam still deserve the same credit. Somebody that's willing to step in on short notice deserves a lot of credit. But at the same time, these guys that aren't ready for whatever reason, I don't believe anybody that they weren't ready. I don't. Maybe they weren't in peak shape or this wasn't perfect or, or making weight was going to be a little bit uncomfortable. I don't think so. I think it's the part that makes me look down on you the most, which is you found out who the opponent is. If you found out who the opponent was ever and you said no, but if it was a different opponent and you would have said yes, you now go into the category of a bully by definition. A bully is somebody that picks on somebody because they can. That's the definition. A guy that's mean to everybody is just a dick. Which I'd way rather deal with a prick out there than I would with a bully. I just don't like him. Dealt with them the same same as you guys did at some point in your life. I just don't like them. It's got to be anybody or it's got to be nobody. Real simple. I do think that it's, it's very important, though, that Islam do get the credit for saying, get me anybody. Islam didn't get a call. It's Bobby Green. Okay, I think I match up well. Let me talk to my coaches and my team. Okay, I'll do it. He said, get me anybody from Jump Street. That's the same thing that Conor McGregor has done. People are arguing against Conor being looked at for a world title fight there's not anybody else within the division that's got three world championships nobody looks better on paper than connor so of course you want to throw that out and you just want to talk about looks what's most recent what's most recent only wants to be brought up when that favors you and or your client what the hell's the point of doing all these fights for all these years what was connor's point of being an intern champion 45 pound champion and 55 pound champion if he doesn't get to use that resume at some point to help himself of course it matters you bet it does, but one thing that Connor always did is he was willing to compete. It's one reason that Connor always got these opportunities. Guys, I will tell you till I'm blue in the face, the single greatest way to break into this industry is to be ready on short notice. If you were to ask me how you win the Super Bowl, I could tell you, and I would talk about the clearinghouse through the NCAA, and I would talk to you about how scholarships work in college, and I would talk to you that you've you've, you've got to be into your second year before you can enter the draft. I could explain that to you. I could explain to you about getting picked up and signed to the league, making it to the playoffs, having more points than this guy, when time runs out, moving to the next round. I could explain to you very clearly and precise how to be a Super Bowl champion. I cannot precisely tell you how you get into the UFC. That question's been around, I've been asked it a 100 times, but there's not an exact answer. I will say things like, well, the greatest vehicle is the ultimate fighter, and now there's an opportunity called the Dana White Contender Series, and of course you want to find a gym, and you want to get the equipment, and you want to show up every day, you want to start to build a name on the regional scene. I can give you stuff that everybody else has done, like there's a way for me to answer the question, but I can't guarantee that it happens. You asked me how to win the Olympics, I can give you an architecture that for sure, if you do, you will be the Olympic champion. In this sport, instead of telling you, go out there, get these fights, pick a weight class, come up with a nickname, build your social media, instead of doing all of that, I can just tell you, be ready. I could not get in the UFC, specifically in me. I fought a guy named, you want to hear an ironic story? I fought a guy named Babalu. Babalu is a total stud, but he was really feared at the time I fought him. He just looked scary, He just Babalu looked the part, not to mention he could get down. I fought Babalu in California. The promoter that put that event on went against the Attorney General's office who did not have a sanctioning body yet told the Attorney General oh no no I'm not doing a fight I'm filming a movie. This is all scripted. So Dana who's in the process of trying to get regulation throughout the country including California now the whole sport gets a big black eye. And people are throwing their hands up they don't want to do it. And Dana goes, anybody that fought on that card will never fight in the UFC. And I'm just going to go, but Dana, we didn't know. Nobody told us this. No, We had no idea. This movie business and predetermined outcome and the Attorney General, these are all things that we heard after the fact. Now, why I tell you it's ironic is Babalu found a way around it because he did such a good job. He won an eight-man tournament one night. He could write his own, his own ticket and he did it to the UFC. He had a short-notice uh, replacement fight needed. I contact Joe Silva. I got guys allegedly speaking up for me. I found out they weren't. But allegedly were speaking up for me, trying to get me in the organization. They, I get Joe Silva's email. I had to pay $1,500 to get it. Turned out it was real easy. JSilva at UFC.com. I probably should have guessed that, but I didn't. $1,500. Get an email. Send them. And it says, I will fight Babalu. Nothing else was said. I was signed and had a contract that night. So not only I went from a blacklist. I went from a blacklist for fighting a guy that we're now going to rematch... On pay-per-view. Cool story, but it's my story. So when I tell you how important it is to be ready on short notice, I'm telling you from experience. Ask Michael Bisping if he could have got a world title fight. Because Michael Bisping did everything that you need to do, but he didn't get one until he agreed to do it on short notice. He is now in the Hall of Fame and a world champion. Ask him how short notice worked out. Bobby Green was not going to be considered for a main event. Bobby Green was never going to be in a number one contender's match, at least not within this calendar year. He's going to be Saturday. Why? Because it was short notice. Being ready is the key in this sport. And I will always test a guy when a guy comes to me for help. jail, will you help me? Will you be my mentor and help guide me through this sport? I will always test him because I'm a coach at heart. That's just inside of me. I can't get rid of it. But I will test him the same way I just did right now. Are you at all times in shape? Are you at all time up to speed on your licenses? Are you all time clean for a drug test? Are you at all times willing to compete when Saturday night rolls around? If the answer is no, I'm not your guy, but you're not mine. I work with guys exclusively who are actual professionals who are ready, willing, and able. And not in that order. Willing, most importantly. Not I have to. Not even I get to. I want to. Those are the guys that I work with. But I work with them throughout history because I see the opportunities that get created by somebody who's willing to do it. Who's willing to raise their hand. Who's prepared. Who's got no excuses. Who's got a thumb drive on their computer with all their paperwork ready to send off to any commission at any time blood work in line, eyes, everything that you would need to fight a professional is going to have. All the way down to high resolution photos in case they've got to put you on a poster on short notice. Boom, I'll send it to you, get it to your art department, make the announcement, I'm getting a plane ticket now. Those guys do exist. There's few of them. And even fewer are guys once they get signed. A lot of guys under contract will know what I'm saying is true and did live their life a period of time until that. Until they got the contract. That contract will ruin more tough guys than anything else. I'm here. I get to tell my friends. I get cuts in line at the local strip club. I'm in the UFC. That will ruin a guy more than anything. But not the greats. The greats with the great stories, the underdog, the comebacks, the Michael Bisping's of the world were ready and they wanted it. All right guys coming up in a moment I'll keep talking about tomorrow's main event and some interesting comments about the fight that I just heard about but before that let me tell you about today's sponsor guys I'm really not into fads when it comes to my wardrobe I keep things pretty classic and simple in fairness my wife helps me with that but I got to tell you guys I am really loving this leisure wear trend I have some new jogger pants by Bird Dogs, and they are so darn comfortable, but you never know by looking at them. They look like khaki slacks, but with the comfort of a sweatpant. Bird Dogs have done a great job of making comfortable bottoms while keeping you looking great. They also make a great pair of shorts that come with built in underwear. I know that may sound a bit funny, but at times for a guy, less is more, especially when it comes to gym shorts. One of my favorite parts about their pants is you can pick the length of your inseam. They offer a 6 inch, 7 inch, and 9 inch inseams. Some guys like long shorts and some like a shorter length depending on the type of workout they're going to be doing. They've also made their products with seamless hidden pockets that'll fit an iPhone, wallet, a money clip. Bird dogs are high quality comfort with style and functionality. Also, their marketing alone is worth checking out at their site. I got to tell you. Go to birddogs.com. Enter the promo code CHALE. They'll throw in a free Bird Dogs whistle football. That's birddogs.com. Use the promo code CHALE and boom, a free Bird Dogs football with your pair of Bird Dogs. You will not take these things off, I promise. Do you guys ever feel like you need a little bit of a boost, mental or physical energy, but you don't like drinking coffee. Or maybe you need a little more mental focus to get that project finished. Allow me to introduce you to one of my go-tos, Kratom by Super Spiciosa. It's an all-natural Indonesian tropical tea leaf from the same family as the coffee plant. It's been used for centuries to promote energy and wellness, Super Spicyosa's Kratom is pure and unindulterated. All plant and no synthetics, just pure kratom leaf. It's available in capsules, tea bags, and powder. I prefer the capsules. It can be used as a natural pre-workout but also helps with recovery. Super Spiciosa has helped energize my mind but also relax my body. It makes me feel very sharp and on point without any kind of jitters. Super Spiciosa products are recognized by the American Kratom Association and let me tell you guys, that's a big deal because there's a lot of synthetic Kratom products out there. If you want to give it a try, and I suggest that you do, go to getsuperleaf.com slash If you've never taken Kratom before, try it in the capsule form. Super Spicy Ocean guarantees 100% satisfaction or your money back. No tricks, no gimmicks. Go to Getsuperleaf.com slash chael and get 20% off with promo code chael. That's Getsuperleaf.com slash chael and use the promo code chael for 20% off. Coach Javier Mendez, one of the true great coaches in this sport. Coach Mendez was talking about his pupil, that's Islam, upcoming match with Bobby Green, Coach Mendez said he doesn't believe this is a number one contenders match. He believes it should be, but in actuality, what will happen is Conor McGregor will get the next title shot. Coach Mendez then said this is entertainment first and sport second. I don't take coaches on, and I would never take on Coach Mendez. I think he's in a different category, but I do want to touch on this topic, so I'm not going to take on Coach Mendez. I'm going to take on the idea. The idea is not true. First off, yes, it's entertainment first, it's sports second. You never say that. Ever. If you're you're one of the smart guys in the room that has figured that out, the next thing you need to figure out is that you protect the industry at all times. You never turn and you never expose your own industry. Now, this is real simple. Is Conor more popular than Islam? Sure he is. But you want to know what else Conor is? He's got not one, not two, he's got three belts. Islam's never fought for a belt and has none. So before you act as though it's just popular, people like to call Conor Champ, Champ. They forget he won three. I was there the night he beat Chad Mendez and got his first belt. It was called the interim. But then he got a 45-pound title and a 55-pound title. It can stop right there. At some point, what you did yesterday does matter. You don't want to be in the habit of resting on your laurels, but if you're coming in arguing resumes, you don't want to go to head-to-head with McGregor. So rule one, protect the industry, that should not have been said. Rule number two, because it is accurate, it's much better for Islam to go next than Connor. The number one fight that our industry has tried to make is Khabib versus McGregor. Our industry, all of you, mice, everybody, made one mistake in 2020, and it's that we only fought McGregor once. McGregor comes out on January 19th into Las Vegas for an event that was not scheduled. They put the whole thing together just for him. He sells the thing entirely out and fights Cowboy Cerrone. McGregor only had one wish, and that was to fight four times this year. Now, if you have a willing Conor McGregor, we should have used him. But the plan was to re-get Conor and Khabib together to the point that we never used Conor. And Connor had to sit, and it's why he did not look good against Dustin Poirier. He'd been out for too long. It was a mistake. Let's just admit it. We made a mistake. Now, we can't get Khabib and Connor back in there together, so what is the absolute next best thing? You get Connor in there with Islam, Khabib's pupil. Khabib's still at the press conference. Khabib's still at the way and Khabib's still at the octagon. It's a much bigger and better storyline, but it doesn't go in opposite direction. You can't send Connor in there to get the belt and then take on Islam. You have to send in Islam first, because he's the one that can get the belt, and then take on Connor. So I'm, I'm just taking on that idea that he never should have exposed the industry, for one. But two, it doesn't make what he said untrue. It just makes the level of creativeness untrue, and if you're playing checkers, it could go to Connor next. But you're not playing checkers, you're playing chess. You're looking at several steps ahead. And the much bigger fight than any of those fights is to get Islam in there against McGregor for the championship. I bring up a very good point. I bring up a very good point. Because when you're doing matchmaking and you're only thinking about tomorrow, it does bring you back to Islam versus Bobby. And if the coach is telling his disciple, who's only got one thing to gain by this fight, which is a number one contendership, if the coach is telling you, it's not going to get you that contendership. Do you see the problem? Now, Coach Mendez is going to see this, and Coach Mendez is going to call me or see me at some point point, say, no, Chael, I was playing chess. I was playing psychological chess. I'm calling something out in one direction because I really want it to go in the other. Possibly, it could have been that. But you're still dealing with a pupil who struggles with the language bearer to start with and you're telling the world around him that this win is for fun? For nothing? It's one of those tough spots and Islam only has one problem. Islam doesn't have an opponent, ever. Islam didn't have an opponent when he had Benny Darouche, all of us go, okay, yeah, that makes sense, I want to see that. Islam doesn't have an opponent when he has Bobby Green, we go, whoa, that's a tough replacement, okay, I want to see that. Islam did not have an opponent when he was trying to intercept Justin Gaethje on his way to a world title fight because Poirier and Oliveira hadn't even fought yet. It's the same car and Islam keeps driving into the same wall over and over, he doesn't have an opponent. To have a championship or have a main event, man, those are good things. He's striving. He's moving in the right direction. He's getting closer, right? He's got, he's got a hold of the right tool, but he's got it by the wrong end. If Islam wants a mega fight, he needs to find himself an opponent. If he wants to make a fight and he wants to be a world champion, he needs to make the opponent out of the world champion. But if you try to do it in the other order, you're going to blow in the wind, And as much as I'm telling you the better storyline is to get the belt around Islam, then bring McGregor in, I'm right. And if you knew how those pieces were going to play out, that's the gamble you'd make. But you don't know how those pieces are going to play out. And so you might just stick McGregor in there. This is a very real concern that they should have. But moreover, the fact that Islam wants a belt as opposed to a specific person is a problem. It's Islam's problem. In 10 days, you were going to see the biggest fight of the year. In 10 days, you were going to see the most watched fight in the last three years. I'm taking McGregor fights out of it. Those are anomalous. It's like when Lesnar fought. It did so well, you got to set it aside. But there's no belt on the line. Nobody tunes in to watch you to pursue a goal, to pursue a dream. That's amateur sport. That's what the Olympics do every four years. That's what the NCAA does once a year. A boy with a childhood dream trying to pursue it. That story's relatable. It's not bad. It's not main event on pay-per-view worthy. And if you are to look at anything that you're learning from Masvidal and Covington, it's that nothing draws and works and sells like an actual grudge. Nothing. Generally, a pay-per-view will have a belt. Generally. But I can tell you in the last couple of years, the biggest fights on pay-per-view did not. The biggest fight in the last two years was the same fight. It was Conor Poirier 2, outdone by Conor Poirier 3. I get it. Again, McGregor the anomaly. But these things only work. Covington versus Masvidal is going to beat every record that doesn't involve McGregor. I doubt it'll be caught this year. It shouldn't be the number one. It should be the number two. Surreal and Francis sailed it in. But you see why it works. Because Colby called a person. He didn't call a title. He didn't call a placement, meaning main event. He called a person. George Moswell did not call for a title. He did not call for a placement, known as main event. He called a person. So if you want these worlds to come together, if you want to get fast-tracked, if you're saying that I understand this is entertainment first and sport second, then you would think that you would have covered the entertainment side of it, which you have not. So allow the great genius in the room to hand you yet one more. If you need the belt and you need to get the opportunity, which is the bureaucracy and the politics of the office, make sure that whoever has the belt is the person that your athlete calls out. So I'll give you my official prediction for the main event in a couple of minutes. But since I just mentioned George Mosfidal, I thought I'd bring you this. Masvidal got asked about fighting in Miami. Hey, you wanna fight Miami? Hey, would you ever fight in Miami? Something like this, Miami and Masvidal gets teed up and Masvidal says, I'll fight in Miami. But the UFC has never been able to draw a house in Miami. They put me on the card, they see me as their, their horse that can fill a building, and they're right, I could. But I need to be paid for that. Nobody did anything wrong. Everybody handled everything right. Is that the best way to go if you're fighting in your hometown? It's very rare in life that somebody will have power and not wield it. Is that the right thing to do? I can relate. The way I behave in Westland, Oregon is not the way I behave anywhere else. I'm being looked at. This is my town. But I feel that inside and I will live up to it. Nobody will meet me in my hometown and leave disappointed. Arrogant as that may sound, it's also true. If I had an opportunity to fight at home, I would do that for the least amount of money I ever charged, because I want my people, who I care the most about, to be able to come down and see me. That doesn't make me right. That's how I would do it. I promoted a show as a fundraiser many, many years ago as a fundraiser for a local school. We're going to do an MMA show there, Thurston High School. Do you know who graduated from Thurston High School, a young man named... Colby Covington. Colby was going to headline the show, and he was going to fly in to do it. He had a reasonably hard fight, and he was going to charge zero. He wanted his purse that he negotiated to be donated back to the fundraiser that was being held at the school, because those are his people. That is his town. Those are his friends. He was going to do one on the house. You may think that's cool. You may think it was a missed opportunity. I'm just sharing a story with you. The greatest concert I've ever been to, I only listen to country music, which doesn't exist anymore on the radio, right? They're all dirtheads heads now. No, those aren't my people. But real country music I do enjoy, and that wasn't the best concert I've been to. The best concert I've ever been to was Kid Rock. Kid Rock was playing at the Roseland. The Roseland seats 1,000 people. That's a very small crowd to a star of that size. I went in to get the absolute best up-close tickets I could, and I did, and it cost me $20. Kid Rock was on a nationwide small venue tour. He wanted small, intimate venues where he could be right there with his audience, and he wanted a cheap ticket so his fans could come and see him. I've never heard of that. I couldn't tell you any other performer that's ever done that. Do you want to know who opened for Kid Rock that night? Kid Rock was scheduled to go on at seven o'clock, and this is one of the things that made this show so good. At six thirty, they set a microphone up, and it was karaoke. Thirty minutes of karaoke from the crowd. At exactly seven, Chris Rock comes spinning. Kid Rock comes spinning out on stage, grabs the microphone, and burnt the house down. He had on these white sheen sweatpants, no shirt and a white tuxedo jacket. It was like the coolest outfit ever, but the reason this was such a great moment, and not because the fans did a great job on karaoke, he wanted his fans to be able to say, I opened for Kid Rock. So he did a small intimate venue, which is usually what an untalented guy that can't draw a house could say. He could draw a house. He really wanted to do it. He charged a cheap ticket. 20 bucks is very cheap to see an act like that where you're this close. You're right, worst seat in the house could could lean forward and shake hands with him, and a lot of people did. And then he let his audience open for him. It's a very different approach. It's the opposite one that Masvidal just laid out. I'm not saying Masvidal's wrong at all. But the one place I wouldn't tax people is in my hometown. That would be part of the negotiation. What are you going to charge for tickets? How many are going to the stations? How many are you going to give to the youth group? How many are you going to give to the club? I would do the exact opposite. Masvidal wants to tax Miami. I hope they get him in Miami. I'm a Masvidal fan. I'll pay the ticket. Or watch on TV. I'm not bagging on him is my point. I'm just asking, what do you guys rather hear? I'm not a music fan and I'm damn sure not into dirt heads. Like Kid Rock, it was the best concert I've ever been to, but it was the best concert for those reasons. Small venue, cheap ticket, his true fans gotta be there. He'd leave and let them open. It's a very different approach. I don't remember any concerts. I don't remember a whole bunch of fights. I remember that one. Because it was sincere by the performer... This isn't about me, I'm doing it for you, and you're the ones that got me here. There was something cool about it. I'm just bringing it to your attention, juxtaposing stories, but I would love to hear from you. Which one are you gonna remember more? Getting to see your favorite hometown fighter? Having to work overtime, having to work double time? Not being able to take your kids down there with you because you couldn't afford tickets for four? Or are you gonna remember the concert that you could afford that was an intimate atmosphere? Where a true entertainer that you helped to elevate paid you back. Oh, I've been putting this off. My official prediction for Islam Makhlchev and Bobby Green. Guys, I'm going Islam. And I'm putting this off because I want to build and pound into your guys' head prior to this contest that Bobby Green is a live dog. Here is what ends up happening. What ends up happening in a fight is you get two guys that within your mind, boy, these guys are great. Bobby Green's going to move around. He's going to hit him a lot. He's going to show you looks that you've never seen. He can scramble off the bottom. He doesn't get tired. You, you understand they say Islam's straightforward. He's a bull. He's going to try to put him in the cage. You think that you know what's going to happen, but what ends up happening is one of them agrees with you and sees it for the other guy. When two opponents get in there, they have the same idea. You just don't know who it is. They both know what's about to happen, regardless of what is on their face. And when you have somebody being elevated into the spot like Bobby is, who's going to watch Islam and all he's ever been told by anyone is that Islam can go out there and take you down, if you start to buy into that, you now change the way that you fight. There's some real tells on fighters for who's not going to go very far in this business and for who you should not bet on. And if you ever hear anybody talking about strategies and game plans, that's the guy you don't want to bet on. Because there's no such thing. They're just words. If you're a guy that's just using, well, you know, we've we've got a real good game plan. If that happens to be what you're really good at, if that's what you're saying to me, you're going to do in this fight what you did in the previous one and the previous one, and every other fight that you had success. If that is, in fact, your game plan, okay, great. If you're going to change and adapt to him, you're done. That's basic logic. You're going to bring in a skill set that you've yet to show to deal with his number one plan. You're a fool, and you will find coaches that get in somebody's head. I've seen coaches ruin guys. Oh, here's what we're going to do. How's that? You got to deal with. It. You got to always step this way. When the guys used to step in the opposite, you can't fix these things in camp. The guy gets to the UFC, he can keep working hard and keep refining. I mean, never give up on learning and growing your skills. But for the most part, this is what he is. I've seen colleges do that to countless wrestlers. Some of them mine. My wrestlers will do such a good job, win state titles and get national acclaim, that they can get money for college and the coach on day one will want to change them to a different system. Go, coach, what would you buy the guy for in the first place? What did you see in this athlete? that you were willing to put money on, and now you're throwing it. You don't want it? You want him to come out and do it? He's going to grab an elbow instead of an inside time? It's it's one of these things. And I see it all the time. If Bobby goes out and does that, if Bobby is like every other guy that's been thrown in a big position and he's showing respect and, and fear to this other guy's opponent, we're beat. But if Bobby goes out and fights like Bobby, where he comes out and he taunts you, Bobby puts the pace on you. Nobody's ever put a pace on Bobby. Bobby will hit you first and second and third. Nobody's got the first punch on Bobby. Bobby gets his ass off the fence. He scrambles the whole time. He's a good sweat going. He gives you different looks. He gets in your head. Nobody's ever done that back to Bobby. Islam came out. He gave one statement for this fight. Islam said, I have the same plan every fight. I'm going to take him down, get on top, and get him tired. They have set that octagon up since 1993. In 93 through 99, we were trying to figure out what was the best sport. Once we found it in 99, by 2005, we threw those philosophies out and realized there's something called MMA. It's a sport in and of itself. You can have a gold medal in any one discipline from the Olympic Games and not get a goddamn round over here. It became its own sport. And it has changed. And the trends have changed. It's always proven to be grappling heavy for the most part. But you'll always have somebody like Adesanya, who never's done a takedown in his life, that will be the king of the world. One thing and one constant from right now in 2002 that dates back to Birmingham, Alabama in 1993 is if you take a guy down against his will and keep him there, you will win. We've had flying knee phases. We've had the guillotine phases. We had the rear naked choke, of which you guys have never seen work. The rear naked choke. Let me let you in on something. The rear naked choke is when one guy is ready to get out of there. Just so you understand. We've seen every phase that you've got and they come in waves and we've learned a lot and we're perfecting our craft and our art and it will be more perfect 10 years from now than it was 10 years ago. There is one thing that has passed time from when there was no way-ins, from when it was David versus Goliath, from where it could be bare knuckle, to where commissions got involved, to where you had rankings, to where you had a round system. There is one thing. Take a guy down against his will and keep him there. That has worked from day one. And 10 and 20 and 30 years from now, that will still work. So when Islam comes out and says, I have one plan, it's the same plan every time. Take a guy down and beat him up. Okay, you got me. Islam is telling you the truth. That is his plan. I look forward to the day that somebody stops Islam from doing that so we can see what his plan B is. And I got to compare everything Islam does to Khabib because everybody else does, including Islam. He's very proud of his coach and mentor, Khabib. And I do remember when Khabib finally couldn't take somebody down. It was round four in New York against Ally Aquinta. but we then found out Khabib can go on his feet. Khabib had a lot harder time taking Conor down than you might remember. Conor was actually very flexible, did a good job at the hips. Khabib comes up, puts the guy that just went 10 rounds with Mayweather straight on his ass. Turned out Khabib had a plan B. George St. Pierre had to take everybody down. Then he runs up with the two-time All-American named Matt Hughes. George kicks him in the head, knocks him out, takes his belt away, all inside a five. So what I'm suggesting for you is not that Islam doesn't have another set of skills. I'm telling you, it's going to be a fun day when we see what that is. It is going to be a very interesting day when we get to see just how good is he in other areas. And I think Bobby's the guy to do that. Bobby Green can win this fight. If Bobby Green goes out there and fights like Bobby Green, he can win this fight. Islam overwhelms Islam dominates people. He doesn't just not lose fights. He doesn't lose rounds. He doesn't just not lose rounds. He doesn't lose a sequence. I have seen Islam lose one exchange. I've seen 11 of his fights. I've seen him lose one exchange. It was a grappling. It was a reversal. And he got it back in a second. That's how hard you have to look to find any kind of flaws. At a minimum... Bobby's going to break that. Bobby's going to win some exchanges. Bobby is going to hit this guy right in the mouth. Bobby's going to make him work for takedowns. Bobby's going to get up off the bottom. I believe those things. I fully believe those. Bobby could win the fight. Bobby Green could win the fight. History says Bobby will change what Bobby does. That he's going to respect something with Islam. I don't think he should do it. I don't. Islam gets a lot of takedowns. They're not by the book. George St. Pierre perfectly by the book. Khabib rewrote the book. A great position for defense on your feet against a grappling attack is go get up against the fence. Turn your toes, turn your heels, lock into that fence. He can't push you this way because the cage is there. Most people don't do wrestling in a pull form. Wrestling is done in a push form. Getting up against the fence is a great thing. No, Khabib will let you start there. Go ahead and start there. Now we do it. took everybody down from the fence. He rewrote the book. He really did. And Islam is doing something very similar. But if you're worried about a guy taking you down, the guy must be a pretty good wrestler. Show me Islam's medals. Show me his standing in the Russian nationals. Show me how he did at the European Championships. Show me how he did at the Junior Worlds and Cadet Worlds. Show me anything that says Islam's a great wrestler, aside from Islam fights where he takes people down. And I just think Bobby should take some refuge in that. Bobby works out with a lot more accomplished wrestlers. It's a true story, guys. It's a very true story. And Gano just weighed in on Surreal. Post their fight, Gano just touched on it. And all he said is the UFC kept Surreal away from wrestlers. Very interesting statement. Because one of the stories from Surreal, and I brought this to you guys' attention, so I'll shine my own wheels up a little bit. One of the, the things going into that fight is that Surreal had never been taken down. And Gano had never taken anybody down. So we were positive we were going to have a stand-up fight, right? Well, we didn't. And I brought this to you guys before the fight, and I told you Surreal has never taken on a wrestler. And of the big tough guys that Surreal's taken on, none of them have ever tried a takedown. So Surreal had not been taken down was the story, and that's a statement, and it's true. But you got to look a little bit closer because there's an asterisk. Nobody ever even tried. He hasn't stopped it. He hasn't been taken down, but he also never stopped a takedown. It hadn't been attempted. So I start to look at the heavyweight division a little bit closer after Angano says it. I say, son bitch, we're not represented. I have never seen a time in the UFC that the amateur wrestler in the heavyweight class was not represented. The closest thing that we have to an NCAA wrestler is Stepe Miocic, and he was. But Stepe doesn't get the credit for being a wrestler. He does his best work with his hands, and more people talk about his baseball than they do his wrestling. If you want to go look at that roster quite literally for an NCAA wrestler, you'll find one. His name is Stepe. You won't find any other ones. That includes John Jones. That includes Curtis Blades. I have never seen a time and I never was brought to my attention until Ungano made the statement. Where wrestling is less represented in a class than heavyweight right now. Why is that? And I do think that Bobby should take a real refuge in that. I think if Bobby goes and watch four or five Islam fights between now and fight night, coming up with a strategy, he needs to look a little bit further. Who are those guys that Islam's taking down? Islam does not have a medal or a trophy that I've ever heard of in wrestling. If he grabbed one, it was as a little boy and it was a side tournament. He does not. Bobby's in the room daily with wrestlers who do. Bobby's going to see footage of Islam taking everybody down. Bobby needs to look a little bit closer and go, where's those guys' medals? Did he take down a cadet champion, a Fargo champion, a who's number one competitor? Anybody that got a dollar from any college in the NCAA? Anybody that did time in the military? Anybody that tried to get overseas? All of a sudden, you got to look a little bit closer. Islam might be like Khabib and like George St. Pierre, he doesn't have any of those things, but he can still do it. He might be. I'm not putting him down. What I'm talking about is Bobby getting his head around this ahead of time. Just because you saw a guy take five guys down or you saw Surreal never be taken down, you've got to do further research. The highest level grappler that Islam's ever been in there with is somebody who got a black belt in jiu-jitsu which does, is a discipline that doesn't fancy and put a huge value on the takedown. If I'm Bobby Green, I'm going to think about that. I'm going to wait just a second. I'm going to get out wrestled by a guy that's never wrestled. I'm going to get taken down by a guy that always takes people down, but he's never fought anybody that's ever been in a sport that is adverse to the takedown. I'm going to build a head of confidence. I'm going to realize this weight class is the one I asked for. I'm going to realize the pressure's on him. It's not on me. I'm gonna go, if I'm Bobby Green, I'm gonna go out there and beat Bobby Green. Bobby Green can win this fight. You want a prediction from me? I'll put the curse on Islam. But I want to go a little bit further than just the outcome. This is going to be a different fight. Bobby Green on a bad night, if he goes out there and underperforms, if he is scared of Islam, if... He is still going to win an exchange. He is still going to win minutes of this fight. He is still going to force Islam to do things that Islam has never done. A bad Bobby Green! is still the toughest opponent Islam Makhelchev has ever faced. All right, guys, that's it for today's episode. Thank you for checking out the show. I hope it got you ready for a big weekend of fights. Makhelchev versus Green, and don't forget my teammate, Austin Vanderford, is fighting Musasi for the Bellator Championship. Enjoy the fights, enjoy your weekend, make sure you're back here on Wednesday. Until then, I'm Chael Sonnen, and you are welcome.